welcome to Top Stories of the Week, presented by Girl on the Gov, the podcast. This exclusive bonus episode drops on Tuesdays and gives you the 411 on the need-to-know political news and tea. So, as always, we'll keep you updated. Welcome back to Top Stories of the Week after a little hiatus of last week. Did you, did you miss us? Did you miss our hour-long rant? I think they did. Rant. I think they did. I think they did. Because they did. how could you not? Well, first of all, we're hilarious. Obviously. Second of all, <laughs> hear that pause. Hear that just slow pause. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> like, just uh, like clicking lit. off. Closing <laughs> Spotify. I'm just thinking of the video where you're zooming in on me being like, oh fuck. <laughs> when Which we were one? chatting about uh, oh, yeah. Republican connections. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, if anyone else quaked last week when Samantha said, well, this might just be one of those topics where we have to hit up our Republican friends. And I've never been so aggressively stopped in my tracks being like, who are these Republican friends? Like our old hinge dates? Because that's the only Wait, people I, I forgot think to of. tell you about this part. So I was telling my my best friend about this before I could finish telling the story of, oh, like Republican connection. She was like, so everyone you've ever dated. That was when I was like editing the video. I was like, I wish one of us said that. That would have been so much funnier because it's so true. I'm like all the secret closeted conservatives that we've dated before. Like we could hit them up for their opinions on the matter. But yeah, no, it was a missed opportunity. But here we are. Here we are. Wait, speaking of dates, though, I had like a I don't know how to qualify this, but interesting Instagram story moment this weekend. I was going through stories just going tap 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 i get to this one and it's like this kind of like fratty dude looking instagram story just like such a like bro like unesthetic like they yeah type. guys who just don't yeah. want to post immediately i'm like what ex-boyfriend is this or what boy have i gone on a date with that i like still follow kind of thing and it's joe cunningham and i'm like who is joe cunningham like i've dated some cunninghams i'm like thinking like which one is this and then I click on it. I'm like, no, no, no. I have not dated this man. This is literally the former candidate for South Carolina that who is very hot, by the way. Very hot. 10 out of 10. We both have crushes on him. It's fine. Like, Which I think is interesting because I feel like our taste is usually pretty different. And this one's a mutual. Because he's that attractive that yeah. he's just like nobody could possibly not be attracted to him. But wow. Interesting. I know. Um, I literally I did a double take. Are. Me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know I what? Hope that he be, keeps at it. I agree with that, but that should be like a game we do at some point. Where, where are they or maybe now? Not even a where are they now, but a guessing of where they'll go. Like at the end of an election, anyone that lost that we were like, oh, but they're awesome, should have done a predictions map. Or we, yeah, or we our could do their next move, like a girl mm-hmm. lost town situation. Yeah. Hmm. Well, okay, so how we adding to get it that up to the money. idea factory. Should for... I write that down before we forget? We will yes. forget. Yes. Hold on. For Hold on. the end of the next election cycle. And you know what? What a perfect segue into our first story is talking about elections because there have been some more election updates. And this might be just a running weekly thing as far as like the weekly who's announcing their bid for yada yada position. And there's a few updates just across the board that we're going to go over. So getting into our top stories of the week, 
and kicking it off with some election updates. The big one that dropped today. Today. Okay, Monday when we're recording is Democratic Representative Slotkin of Michigan will seek the U.S. Senate seat being vacated by Democrat Debbie Stabenow. <laughs> so proud of May you. I look to Samantha for confirmation if I'm saying <laughs> things correctly. Which Not that either awesome. of us really know, yeah. but as long as I have, we both can agree on a pronunciation, like we're just going to roll with it. So... This is going this is the first high profile candidate to jump into this battleground state race. So in a video announcing her campaign, Slotkin says that the nation seems to be, quote, living crisis to crisis, but that there are, quote, certain things that should be really simple, like living a middle class life in, in the state that invented the middle class. This is why I'm running for the United States Senate, Slotkin says in her video released this Monday morning. We need a new generation of leaders that thinks differently, works harder, and never forgets that we are public servants. Slotkin is a 46-year-old former CIA intelligence officer and third-term representative and is coming off an impressive victory in last year's midterms. Winning re-election despite having been considered vulnerable, her contest against Republican state Senator Tom Barrett. Yeah, it's either. I think it's Barrett. The double R is making me think. I think it's Barrett. Because I think it would be Barrett if. Barrett. With an E on it. Barrett. I don't know. We don't know shit about shit. So whatever. And this is actually the third most expensive house race in 2022. So she came out on top. And she is the first Democrat to announce her intentions to run for a seat that will be crucial to the party's efforts to maintain control of the Senate, where it holds a 51 to 49 majority. The only other candidate in the race so far is Republican Nikki Snyder, a state board education member. So big one that was announced this week. The other really interesting one is Marianne Williamson, <laughs> who ran for president in 2020. It's just triggering me back to my campaign days, is putting her hat in the ring for president, guys. So best-selling self-help author, Marianne Williamson, who brought quirky spiritualism to the 2020 presidential race, has announced she's running for president again, becoming the first major Democrat to challenge President Joe Biden for his party's nomination in 2024. Williamson is formally kicking off her campaign with an event in Washington on Saturday. Without mentioning former President Donald Trump, she noted in a weekend Facebook post that his unconventional White House win makes it, quote, odd for anyone to think they can know who can win the presidency. Valid. I'll give her that. Valid. She said, I'm not putting myself through this again just to add to the conversation. I'm running for president to help bring an aberrational chapter of our history to a close and to help bring forth a new beginning. Williamson, who is 70 years old, says she plans to follow her Washington announcement with travel to states voting early in the Democratic primary. So that includes New Hampshire, where she suggested she'd participate in the state's primary if it defies the Democratic National Committee rules and holds the nation's first presidential nominating contest, despite the party making South Carolina its leadoff state for 2024. So really interesting one. I honestly really didn't see coming i thought she no. in 2020 she was just one of those candidates that like popped in made a name for herself and i just like i thought it was kind of like her meeting meeting that moment and i didn't think it was like an actual political ambition like term aspirational right. totally exactly agree. i thought she was just like meeting that moment for trump and seeing what happened but the fact that she must have caught the bug the political bug and has some career 
ambitions at 70 to, you know, be in elected office, the highest of elected offices at that. I think like all the power to her, and I agree with her of the concept that like clearly anyone, not anyone can win, but like our old school mentality is, oh, like they have to be a politico or like, you know, insider to win is clearly not the case. I mean, Ronald Reagan proved that ages ago too. You know, this is not a new thing. I think it's interesting, though, that she's running as a Democrat. To me, if I were this, like, political outsider, I I, I don't know what I would do. She's definitely a Democrat. But what's interesting about her is that she is not Democrat, like, capital D, like, DNC, you know, because she's an outsider and not establishment. She's throwing her hat in the ring, and it's going to be interesting to see if anyone even does that because... We'll get into this in a second, but Biden's most likely going to run. And the only people who I think would do that is someone who's not doesn't have that, you know, political network or involved in kind of the establishment political world. And I think the only people that could actually beat Biden in a primary are some of the big names in the Democratic Party, but they won't throw their hat in if Biden's running. So, yeah, because it is interesting. It's like she definitely is. Right. So like the two categories in Denland are like establishment or progressive. And mm-hmm. sometimes they crisscross over and sometimes there's subcategories to that. But yeah, she's not really in either of them for different reasons. And yeah. I yeah. Again, do you? Do you girl? Um, It'll be interesting to see if they have any Again, to see if anyone else throws their hat in here against Biden, see what those debate stages might look like in a primary season. But speaking of Biden, U.S. First Lady Jill Biden gave one of the clearest indications yet that President Joe Biden will run for a second term, telling the Associated Press in an exclusive interview on Friday that there's, quote, pretty much nothing left to do but figure out the time and place for the announcement. So although Biden has long said it's it's his intention to seek re-election, he has yet to make it official and he's struggled to dispel questions about whether he's too old to continue serving as president. Biden would be 86 at the end of his second term. And so the first lady said, how many times does he have to say it for you to believe it? <laughs> and she added, he's not he says he's not done. He's not finished what he started. And that's what's important. And granddaughter Naomi Biden chaired the first lady's comments after the interview said, preach Nana <laughs> she, <laughs> on that Twitter. Cute. So I guess it's just a matter of when this announcement comes. I feel like if Jill is confirming it in that way, it's happening. But Jill, we trust. So. And Jill, we trust, of course. I feel like I had some thoughts on this and I forgot. Oh, well, you know what? We'll get to it in a little bit because there's a story that's a little bit in line with this conversation around age that's oh i know you're going at this but one question in the meantime if you were going to announce your re-election campaign where would you do it like what would be that the scene plan the party for me Uh, do you have an answer for this i don't did you ask me so i would ask you back Uh, look i love an excuse to give my opinion but i actually didn't think that far in advance i literally don't know i think i would make like a fire video and make it like go viral i feel like if it's just like a random like press briefing type situation it's like no go big you know maybe get some like celebrity cameos in there Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. i I make a cool video i think 
I love that. The second you said fire, I know you're not going to this reference because you don't want Real Housewives of Miami. But one of the housewives put out this music video slash song called Fire. And it's like Miami seen. is like fire, fire, fire. Like it's it's what you would expect. Okay. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. And it took me a good 30 seconds when you were chatting just now to process that you weren't saying. I said fire, not fire. It just <laughs> immediately. But, I mean, a video, the video Definitely aspect a part of too. It. But yeah, I think that would be my move, you know, keep it in the digital realm so that it can make its rounds and really catch fire. I'm curious to see what Biden does with his announcement. I think he should make it something fun. But he just actually... does it when he's like walking to Air Force One. I'm going to be really disappointed. But yeah, I guess we'll see. The time will just, you know, countdown is on, I guess, till this announcement. But one other piece of this election puzzle is a little chunk about the GOP strategy, which I think they've been listening to this podcast because they might be catching on. Is it all our exes again? They're informants for the RNC. That's very, very possible. Or we're just like (laughs) such important voices in the political space (laughs) that, you know, every all the higher ups at CNN, Fox, like they're all listening to us, Mm, the DNC, mm -hmm. the RNC. And they're like, shit, those girls know what they're talking about. And we need to implement some of their strategies and suggestions because here's the story, first of all, and you'll get what we're saying. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) At the dawn of the 2024 campaign season, Republicans say they are taking steps to avoid a repeat. The National Republican Senatorial Committee, which Scott formally led, intends to wade into party primaries in key states, providing resources to its preferred candidates in a bid to produce nominees who are more palatable to general election voters. What do you know? Well, maybe. It may be easier said than done. Similar efforts have backfired in recent years with the party's restive base rejecting the attempts. The new push will test whether the GOP establishment can steer a party reshaped by Donald Trump's insurgent presidency back to mainstream appeal. Quote, one thing I kept hearing when I took this job was that Republicans are sick and tired of losing. Senator Steve Daines of Montana, the new chairman of the NRSC, this is our last chance this decade to target red state Democrats. So we're going to do whatever it takes to recruit candidates who can win both a primary and a general election, aka what I've been saying for a long time now. Why isn't the Republican Party steering away from the Trumpism? It's clearly not working for them electorally in these general elections. And they might be catching on. Not that I wanted them to. Yeah, like (laughs) this this is why I'm like, mom's the word. (laughs) But (sighs) at least... I just, I guess I just like being on record, like being right. So maybe yeah, that's, that's like, a, that was a selfish move by me, but. Look, I get it. I, I do get it. Being, being right is fun. Being right is everything. And look, they know not being right isn't fun because they don't like losing. And they're on record saying that. Okay. Next story. Student loans times SCOTUS. What did we used to call SCOTUS? SCROTUS? SCROTUS. Yeah. We haven't said that in a while. A play on Strata, just in case anyone was curious. Oh, I'm glad we have that clarifier. Just you never know. Context mm-hmm. is king. Um, facts. Okay. Nonetheless, Scrotus is about to hear arguments over Biden's student debt relief plan, which impacts millions of borrowers who could see their loans wiped away or reduced. 
Hold on deep breath. I don't know why I didn't breathe. Huh. Breathing and talking at the same time is so difficult. Anyways, mm-hmm. so far, Republican-appointed judges have kept the Democratic president's plan from going into effect. And it remains to be seen how the court, dominated six to three by conservatives, will respond. The, justice, the, the justices have scheduled two hours of arguments in the case Tuesday, though it will probably go longer. The public can listen in on the court's website beginning at 10 a.m. Eastern, where things stand ahead of the hearing as well as what to expect, right? So how does the forgiveness plan work? The debt forgiveness plan announced in August, the best month of the year because my birthday is in August, go Leo's, could cancel $10,000 in federal student loan debt for those making less than $125,000 or households with less than $250,000 in income per year. Pell Grant recipients who typically demonstrate more financial need would get an additional $10,000 in debt forgiven. College students qualify if their loans were dispersed before July 1st. The plan makes 43 million borrowers eligible for some debt forgiveness, with 20 million who could have their debt erased entirely, according to the Biden administration. The White House says 26 million people have applied for debt relief and 60 million had already had their relief approved. The Congressional Budget Office has said the program will cost about $400 billion over the next three decades. So, how did this issue wind up at the Supreme Court, a.k.a. SCROTUS? Let us tell you. The SCROTUS is hearing two challenges to the plan. One involves six Republican-led states that sued. I just. The other involves a lawsuit filed by two students. I just. Round two. A lower court dismissed the lawsuit involving the following states. Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and South Carolina. The court said that states could not challenge the program because they weren't harmed by it. But a panel of three federal appeals court judges on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit, all of them appointed by Republican presidents, put the program on hold during an appeal. The SCROTUS then agreed to weigh in. The student's case involves Myra Brown, who's ineligible for debt relief because her loans are commercially held, and Alexander Taylor, who is eligible for just $10,000, not the full $20,000, because he didn't receive a Pell Grant. They say that the Biden administration didn't go through the proper process in enacting the plan, among other things. Okay, wait, hold up. Am I reading this correctly, that these two kids are like, well, I don't get to benefit from it, so everyone else gets to suffer? Yep. Correct. Giving like your conservative uncle who's like, well, I survived this. You guys should be able to. Mm -hmm. It's all about progress, people, you know? It's, yeah. And look, I understand the concept of jealousy or being like, oh, I wish I qualified for something. Oh, I wish that were me that I could probably. But you can have those feelings at the same time as being happy for other people that benefit from things. Imagine, imagine imagine being so selfish that you not being approved for student debt relief would make you put this in the courts, stop it for 26 million people who would have life-changing debt relief. And you're like, I have $10,000 of debt and I didn't make the $20,000 cut. Like, Sorry to everyone else. Sorry, you 26 million people who mm-hmm. in a recession and really hard times economically, like you guys can wait while I make this happen for myself. Imagine. And you know what? Karma. That's all, you know? Karma's going to happen. And also, what red flags as people? 
What red Literally. flags? Imagine that is you might as well be going around with a sign saying, don't date me because this is what dating me would be like. Like every single situation would be great with that type of selfishness. I also, I'm curious who represents them. If it's like a pro bono firm that works in the conservative space that almost was like seeking out people yeah. like that. Or is this an individual that then is paying more in lawyer's fees than they would in the student debt situation? Yeah. I mean, regardless, we have all these conservative states that we're going to sue regardless. But I'm like, you're going to like attach your name and like battle this in the courts? It's like, look, and I think and there just needs prevent to be 26 more... million people Crazy. more probably. I think from... there needs to be more clarity in terms of like when students are taking out loans as to what the progress process is. Is it commercial? Are you taking loans out from the government? I think it's super, super confusing for mm-hmm. people. I am sure of that. But even if that were confusing and therefore you took out commercially held loans instead of maybe you qualified for a Pell Grant or something like that, look, this is not exactly my topic area, but like that then that happens then sorry like sorry or like like, try try a different time and a different policy this is this was also like a first step on this issue for biden and it's targeted which is also like something that people are always very critical of when it comes to any type of relief that the government provides people is like it just goes to everyone like it's not targeted and it's like people who don't even need it get it and it's like this is clearly like a targeted piece of policy that a lot of policy wonk smart people made. And because it doesn't apply to your specific circumstance, you're going to prevent 26 million people from getting the relief that they need. They need. Like, get Crazy, crazy. Like I'm trying to think of like what a, a non-political variation of this. So sure. many analogies I feel like I can make, but like my brain just isn't braining today. And oh, I the brain yeah. is not. It's gonna be one of those instances cylinder. where I like clip this later and I'm like, why didn't I think of this funny joke to say? Sorry, everyone. But anyways, we can get get into this story. <laughs> anyways, Texas-based US District Judge Mark Pittman, an appointee of Trump, who I'm twinning with today because I had a spray tan disaster. So Look, sometimes you have things in common with people you wouldn't expect in the weirdest of ways. But regardless, it's looking orangey and really stripey. Like it's really mm-hmm. tiger stripes. Tiger stripes. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Okay. Anyways, this judge decided to side with the students we mentioned, rule to block the program. Pittman ruled that the Biden administration did not have clear authorization from Congress to implement the program. Federal appeals court left Pittman's ruling in place, and the Supreme Court agreed to take up the case along with the state's challenge. So here's where that led. But how did Biden get to cancel debt in the first place? To cancel student loan debt, the Biden administration relied on the Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students Act, commonly known as the HEROES Act. Originally enacted after September 11th, the law was initially intended to keep service members from being worse off financially while they fought in wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Now extended, it allows the Secretary of Education to waive or modify the terms of federal student loans as necessary in connection with a national emergency. Trump, a Trumplican, declared the COVID-19 pandemic a national emergency in March 2020, but Biden recently announced that the designation will end on May 11th. 
The Biden administration has said that the end of the national emergency doesn't change the legal argument for student loan debt cancellation because the pandemic affected millions of student loan borrowers who might have fallen behind on their loans during the emergency. Thanks. There it is. What are the justices likely to ask about? Great question. Expect the justices to be focused on several big issues. The first one is whether the states and the two borrowers have the right to sue over the plan in the first place, a legal concept called standing. If they don't, that clears the way for the Biden administration to go ahead with it. To prove that they have standing, the states and borrowers will have to show, in part, that they're financially harmed by the plan. Beyond standing, the justices will also be asking whether the HEROES Act gives the Biden administration the power to enact the plan and how it went about doing so. That is interesting. That feels so wide and so big, though. Mm -hmm. Which, you know. When will borrowers know the outcome? will likely be more months before borrowers learn the outcome of the case, but there's a deadline of sorts. The court generally issues all of its decisions by the end of June before going on summer break. Yeehaw, summer break. Okay. Whether Can you imagine the justices like on like, I'm thinking of spring break. That's what I'm thinking. I wonder if of. they take the robes off. Oh. Stop. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Whether or not the debt gets canceled, the case's resolution will bring changes. While federal student loan payments are currently paused, they will end 60 days after the case is resolved. And if the case hasn't been resolved by June 30th, payments will start 60 days after that. Well, we reported on this move by Biden when it happened, obviously. Got caught up in the courts. It's now at the Supreme Court ready to be discussed this week so those are the updates and it will be a running story i'm sure so guess what we'll keep you updated hey guys popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter this weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items resources and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox save it share it and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description if you work in the political space, listen up. Here at Girl on the Gov, we have built our whole business around effectively marketing political messaging through digital media. And we want to help you do the same. We have a full digital media consulting menu these days tailored specifically to the political space. Number one, hashtag viral. It is our paid social media newsletter that comes straight to your inbox every Tuesday. If you've ever thought uh, this meeting could have been an email, this newsletter is for you. We give basics to best practices, platform updates, and the content ideas you need to go hashtag viral. And for offering number two, if you want some one-on-one face-to-face attention, we offer that too. We provide social media audits and consulting to help you achieve the conversions and engagement you've been hoping for from your social media content. And number three, in our newest edition, Podcast Consulting, we are the minds behind this gorgeous political podcast for young voters that we've been running for two and a half years now. So we know a thing or two about how not only to get a podcast off the ground, but how to grow an audience. We provide podcast consulting for anyone trying to get their podcast started or provide podcast audits for those who have started their pod but want to see it take off. Podcasting is a great new in-house digital media marketing tool and a great way for any candidate elected or org to amplify their work and their voice. So head to girlinthegov.com slash consulting to learn more about our services and to sign up for hashtag viral to start slaying the beast that is digital media. Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feed is flooded with customized this and personalized that, all promising to fix my split ends and my dry skin and all of the things. But when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. 
And your formula literally couldn't exist without you. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals, and they get personal. Pros covers everything from diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They even asked me about, you know, where I live, the water hardiness that I have coming from my shower, UV index, all of the things. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing premixed, nothing off the shelf. And I know from experience, one-of-a-kind formulas equal one-in-a-million results. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed that my hair is definitely fuller. I have thinner hair that just like will not hold a curl or stay voluminous. And ever since using pros, that has changed. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering an exclusive trial offer. So you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash girlandgov. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash G-I-R-L-A-N-D-G-O-V for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash girlandgov. Speaking of SCOTUS, we have another SCOTUS story here because there's a new SCOTUS case on the horizon because the Supreme Court said Monday it will take up a Republican-led challenge to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, a case that could threaten how the consumer watchdog agency functions. It is the second time in three years that the justices will examine the federal agency, which was created in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. The case will not be heard before October. That's when the court begins its next term. And late last year, federals, a federal appeals court, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, ruled that the agency's funding structure is unconstitutional, threatening its ability to function. The Biden administration asked the high court to review the decision, which it has now agreed to do. The administration said the lower court's ruling, quote, calls into question virtually every action of the CFPB has taken since its creation. The decision, quote, threatens to inflict immense legal and practical harms on the CFPB, consumers, and the nation's financial sector, the administration said. Since the Bureau was created more than a decade ago by the Dodd-Frank Act, it has varied in its aggressiveness. So during the Obama administration, it used its muscle to collect fines from banks and credit card companies. During the Trump administration, it drastically scaled back enforcement actions. Republicans have argued that the agency has unchecked power. The case of justice has agreed to hear centers on the agency's funding. So unlike a majority of agencies, CFPB does not get its funding from the annual budget process in Congress. Instead, it is funded directly by the Federal Reserve. So the agency's budget is capped at 12% of the total operating expenses of the Federal Reserve System. In the 2022 fiscal year, the agency received about $640 million. 
The case the justices will hear began when two associations sued over the agency's payday lending rule. They argued in part that the agency's funding structure violated the Constitution and properly insulating the agency from congressional supervision. A trial court ruled against the associations, but the appeals court agreed the funding structure was unconstitutional. Other courts that had previously looked at the agency's funding structure found no issue. And in urging the justices to take the case, a group of 16 mostly Republican-led states called the CFPB a failed experiment in administrative governance. Just three years ago in 2020, the high court dealt with a different challenge to the agency. The case involved the agency structure. The justices ultimately ruled that Congress had improperly insulated the head of the bureau from removal. The justices said the agency could not continue to operate, but that its director had to be removable by the president at will. CFPB was the brainchild of Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, which if we know Lizzie, we know her bread and butter is being a real watchdog to Wall Street mostly. And so seeing what happens with this case, I think is going to be interesting just because I think it'll be depending on what happens. I think it could be pretty, what's the word? Catastrophic. Yeah, like catastrophic, massive. Okay, wait, who were we talking with recently that was saying that like one of the Republican strategies has been to basically badmouth a particular program, agency, you know, program for lack of better words. I don't know why I can't think of words today. Brain, not braining, which is officially Maddie's term. I think it's basically. common theme of the Republican yeah. Party to they bad now mouth, come after the government itself. But they badmouth specifically a program. Then they defund the program or they remove like funding. The and then they go, yeah, see, it doesn't work because they've removed funding. And then right. continue to make it worse and worse until it's then not popular. And basically, it's like defamation. It's long-term defamation of character that leads to getting them the result that they want. And I really cannot remember who that we had a conversation about this very specifically within the last week and a half. It might be on one of our podcast episodes. We did a lot of interviews last week, guys, and I can't remember who said this. I but think like what this so screams more than anything is like literally the buddies over at Wall Street being like, hey, guys, can we start working on getting these consumer protections taken away? Because I don't know. It's just... It's kind of scary to think that a program that like protects consumers and holds, you know, big banks and big corporations accountable could be altered in such a massive way. It's scary. And it, if anything, is just so transparent as to the corporate stranglehold on our government. And specifically when you look by sector, like who's controlling what party and while there's definitely exceptions to the statement, like Republicans are more known to take big money from big banks. And this just feels like a extension of that. I agree with that. And I also feel like it points to just like so many of these issues where something bad happens. East Palestine is a really good example of this. Mm-hmm. They're watchdog, their regulations, and they got pulled back. And what do we have here? We have a Example of how corporate greed led to a dangerous situation environmentally, long-term health effects, et cetera, and really poisoning a community. Mm-hmm. And then on, you know, on this flip here, we have another situation in which what we're going to pull back 
more protection. Well, what stemmed from another crisis, the 2000, one of the biggest right. moments in our country's history, the 2008 financial crisis, like this stemmed from that and trying to prevent something like it happening again. And it's, it's just apparent when we don't have these agencies like regulating these big corporations and in any sector, I think there's so much more to be done too. Like, and there's also a lot that our government fucks up on like right. big pharma, you know, and the opioid Beyond. crisis, like the government and those watchdog agencies that were supposed to prevent, you know, bad actors in that way didn't. And, you know, the opioid crisis is an example of that as well. So it's like, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, and, and to that ways point, it be better. specifically, like there are so many Republicans where there, there's a poll that was put out last week and it showed what the number one concern of death was for Republicans versus Democrats. Democrats largely said gun violence. Republicans largely said opioids. Democrats did say opioids too, but gun violence is by far the first and then mm -hmm. opposite. And it was one of these things that like Republicans campaign on it so much and rightfully so because we do have an opioid slash fentanyl crisis in this country. Yeah. Huge. But what they're not saying is that they're still taking money from all of these pharma companies yeah, that, like Johnson and Johnson, say, so I feel and like creating shell companies and then going around it. And I, I feel like by sector, though, like it's definitely both sides when it comes to big yeah. pharma. But like, I think Democrats are a little that. bit more of the big pharma money grabbers. But then on the other side, like gun violence is all Republicans taking that money. So it's like, yeah, it's just a really important example of how at the end of the day, like a lot of our issues come down to corporate greed and the, you know, kind of dark money and dark influence behind what our government, act, how it functions. And to take away regulations is the last thing we need. Amen to that. And you know what episode people should listen to of growing of the podcast? I think Dean Phillips. Yeah, Dean yeah. Phillips. We talk all about getting money out of politics in that episode. It's from this fall. It's evergreen. You just get to hear the congressional bell go off, all the fun things. But it's a, seriously, it's a great conversation on this exact, not this exact issue, but talking about the cross-section of money and politics and how we need to not only get it out of politics, but how it kind of needs to be your number one issue issue because it impacts all of the other issues you care about. So it is the reason for every other issue that exists on your list. Every single one comes down yeah. to that influence. Yeah. Congressman Phillips, go check it out. Go listen if you haven't yet. But next story, Samantha, last story of the day. Wow. Last but not least, former ambassador Nikki Haley's presidential campaign proposal to impose mental competency tests for politicians age 75 and older has reignited debates about how to decide who is fit to lead. It puts the spotlight on calls for generational change sure to be front and center during the 2024 campaign cycle and on battles over whether those calls constitute a form of ageism. The proposal is a dig at President Biden, who will be 82 by the time of the next presidential inauguration, though former President Trump would be 78. But it would also have implications for the rest of Washington, where nearly 10% of Congress is at least 75 years old. That includes some of the top leaders and decision makers in both parties. Psychiatric and aging experts warn that it would be difficult to create and implement a fair and effective test to measure politicians' mental competency, and drawing a line in the sand at age 75 to require such a test doesn't necessarily make sense. 
Dr. Bennett Bloom says, I've encountered individuals in their 80s, 90s, or 100s who are more mentally flexible and aware of current world events and interaction of such things than are some 20, 30, and 40-year-olds that I've worked with. I I have to say, this is this is such an interesting dynamic for finish reading this, is I totally agree with this, Doctor. I think that there are people of every age that are super, super competent. Being old doesn't mean that you're not competent. It doesn't mean that you don't have literally years of experience applicable. I think where the younger electorate comes in and is like, can we have someone new from is from that perspective of like, can oh, we have like, someone that relates more, more to the larger population and the mm-hmm. next generations and handing the torch when it's time. Like you've had your time, you've made your impact. Now help more generations do that by stepping down and going on to the next thing and bringing them up. Like, I don't think, at least from my perspective, I don't think it's as much about, oh, and when I think about Biden too, it's not so much like, hey, like you're going to be an old fogey. You're going to be incompetent or really the brain cells are out the door. Not any shot by any imagination of how I'm taking that. I'm taking that being like, there are so many people coming up the ranks that we need to be bringing them up building the staircases and putting our hands out and saying your yeah. turn not like and I couldn't knowing agree when more. to like move over and welcome more people aboard and I think yeah. that's where a lot of people I, I think a lot of people are coming from that perspective I'm I sure think other, other people are coming too, from the ageist perspective too I'm sure yeah the other thing too that bothers me is like I hear people all the time just talking about he's so old like did you hear him last week and like his gaff or whatever? It's like, okay, if he like stutters or if he makes a little like gaff when he's speaking, I just feel like that's so not indicative of like somebody's actual like brain capacity to get totally. shit done. And like clearly this man is president of the United States. Like he's traveling across the world. He's doing really just fine. And I think like coming after the way even like even when people did that to Trump, I was like, that's literally the least of my worries. Like he's a human being. Like if he, you know, misspeaks, then who cares? So that's the other thing. I think that people just need to like get their head out of their ass a little bit. <laughs> no, literally, because we ain't his age. And let me tell you, if I had the schedule that Biden had, I would be on my ass. I could not literally could literally. not keep up. Could not. And some people my brain... just yeah. People are just like more ambitious. And I think we say this all the time too. Like I always say it. I'm like, why are you wanting to like go retire on a beach somewhere? Because I think that's just like my vibe. But some people really like are fulfilled by working all the time. And like it's would never be me. But like some people are just wired that way. And it's just like, I don't know. I think it's not black and white. And of course, yeah. we always need to make things that way. I don't know. It's uh, it is a little frustrating. And at the end of the day, like I definitely agree, we need younger people. And I think personally, like I wouldn't, I don't really want my president to be like eighty six at the end of his term. But I think he's been doing a great job, and uh, like that should really be what matters. And that's why I'm not opposed to him running again. I think my my only worry is that what other people think and people not being able to like separate his age from what he's actually accomplishing and also understanding that a president has a massive team around him that's working on this who are experts in all of these things that he's doing and that the policy that he's passing and he's really the face of that team more than anything and like at the end of the day the country's going to be run and i think obviously optics matter and you know the world looking at us and seeing maybe an old like an old man if he if he is his health you know takes a bad turn whatever like that does optically put a bad look on the country. But at the end of the day, like, we're going to be fine. Like, there's a whole team of people who are 
there and a whole system in place to make sure that the country is going to be run at the end of the day, you know? Right. Right. And also, I feel like so many of the people that are in the camp of he's so old are the same people that also would vote for Chuck Grassley, who's what? How old? 89? Yeah. So I'm like, well, why don't you guys turn out in primaries and vote in some people who are younger and who you actually want to vote for in the general election? This is the problem with the whole saying. It's like, don't complain if you don't vote. It's like, make sure you vote in primaries, too, because at the end of the day, like if you're going to complain about somebody who is in office forever, it's like, you're not going to get them out if you just turn out in the general, turn out in the primaries and be active and be engaged and things could look different. Totally. Couldn't agree more. And for some commentary on this, we had Bernie Sanders, which by the way, I got a puzzle this weekend and it's like a Vermont puzzle. And it literally has, it's like little like Vermont things. Yeah. Like, yeah, Bernie's exactly. on it. It's feel the burn and it's like a little, there's a little photo of him. And I was like, this is so funny that he, yeah, like he made it on here. Ridiculous. But nonetheless, have not finished that puzzle because the border is really hard. Like, which you would think would be the easiest part, but it's actually, it's like My last puzzle was like that. It was just like, the top was just all black and you just had to see if you can find the actual shapes. It wasn't, there wasn't any type of color indicator. Always the worst. Always puzzle gang. Love puzzles. Guys, we are puzzlers. We're alive. Okay. Nonetheless, Bernie Sanders, 81, pushed back on the idea on CBS's Face the Nation last week, calling it absurd and ageist. Haley fired back by tweeting that is exactly what a career politician and socialist would say, charging that the Washington establishment is afraid of people finding out some of their leaders aren't fit to serve. I will say this. is like, what does his age or career politician and socialists have to I was thinking I was thinking the same thing I feel like if anything because people think he's more socialist like he's definitely not establishment then (laughs) like like establishment is run by corporations and capitalism like it's he can't be like establishment and socialism that's why people liked Bernie is because he wasn't super establishment that's why the DNC didn't fucking support him in any of his presidential bids (sighs) sorry (laughs) anyways Trump for his part expressed support for the idea (laughs) <laughs> only he would be like me competency test i think because he this. still thinks he's 55 i think he thinks he's like 35 writing on his website truth social that anybody running for office of the president of the united states should agree to take a full and complete mental competency test it's common for younger candidates to argue that it's time for older leaders to pass the torch to a new generation imposing an upper age limit on politicians is popular among voters in August 2022, CBS-YouGov survey found 73% support among U.S. adults for imposing a maximum age limit on elected officials. In a November 2022 Reuters Ipsos poll, found 67% of Americans said that there should be an upper age limit on president and members of Congress. And the public's opinions on the matter are also complex. The Reuters Ipsos poll found 55% support for allowing lawmakers to stay in office as long as they are in good health, regardless of age. And 61% said older leaders should not be discounted just because of their age. Measuring mental competency can be difficult. Dr. Tracy Gendron, chair for the Virginia Commonwealth University Department of Gernatology and the executive director of Virginia Center on Aging said, age alone is not a good predictor of health or ability. Aging is not homogeneous, linear experience. There are no milestones or expectations to make comparisons. Sweeping blanket statements about using age as a barometer for ability is dangerous and misguided, she said. 
I think that's fair. I feel like that's so fair. And I feel like it really is just another example of like the GOP coming after demographics of people and being like blanket statement, like stereotyping people and basically discounting them. It's discrimination at the end of the day. And it's another tactic of the GOP to come for a demographic of people to help their political rhetoric and narrative. Amen to that. And I think this will be an interesting and evolving story, but more than anything narrative that we see this double campaign season 23 and 24. And the one thing I will say is that the Democrats need to get on top of this ASAP Rocky because the Republicans taking on this, this is them then owning the stance of like, we need more young people in politics, which should definitely be a democratic stance on things, especially given where young people usually vote. And so if young people see Republicans really taking a stand on getting more young people into office and, you know, taking on this whole issue, like that's going to be a big problem. I think the Republicans like strategy and making it about this like kind of discriminatory ageist way is not the right way to do it. So hopefully the, the Democrats can like jump on that and be like, it's not about like health. I think if you are healthy and able, then you should definitely yeah. be able to be in office. But what we do know is that like we want more young people to step into these spaces and have our government be more representative of the demographics of this country. Because that at the end of the day is the problem. It's not about whether people are mentally there. Diane Feinstein is an exception to that statement. I think she has had multiple instances where she has displayed that her age is starting to kind of like get to her and her ability to properly govern and communicate, which is by no means her fault. It's just the way life goes. But I think at the end of the day, like it shouldn't be about this side of things. It should be really more about the passing of the torch and Democrats need to make sure they, they jump on that and not let Republicans take take this because it would be a big problem for democrats and to know and this is something we've talked about a little bit before and will continue to be a part of like the conversation is the fact that the republicans have spent a good deal of time in a lot of state legislatures and local races over the last 10 15 20 plus years building the bench Mm -hmm. and Democrats, while they've done it in some places, really have not done it enough. And that's what they need to be focused on, too. Not just because we need to control the state legislatures and, you know, these local races and all of that, but because we need to build that bench. They need There need to be the people to pull up on that ladder, right? And we have a lot of them, and we're continuing to build that. But we need to be doing it at a more impressive pace. The pacing yeah. is just not quite there and i i worry about that for sure yeah and i think it's also there's something to be said too about like again it really should be about what you're bringing to the table like nancy pelosi for example is i forget her exact age in her 80s a really effective leader gets so yeah. much shit done and she's an example of like yeah i don't know that the torch should be have been passed for her until maybe like she might step down soon, but she shouldn't have stepped down. Honestly, I feel like Diane Feinstein, like I haven't seen much more. She used to be a very, very, very effective leader and has an incredible history of amazing work. Lately, 
like she's not bad by any means, but she's, I guess, not like really moving the needle forward the way like Nancy Pelosi is. So it's like that's right. an example of like as a party, they should be like, who's the next? Who's the next one? Who who can we get in there? But and I not also... wait for her to like just retire because she's old and then she hasn't been very effective over the last, you know, term or two terms or whatever. But I you know also I mean? think that needs to what needs to happen there, too, is there need to be candid conversations yeah. within party to elected, too. So, mm-hmm. look, people are going to have their own ego. They're going to do their own thing. At the end of the day, that'll usually win out over anything. But when it's not just her, but there's other other electeds, too, where it's like, where is the conver- where's the conversation about being like, hey, like, you've done a great job let's pass the torch like i think there needs to be more conversations yeah, like that happening internally right okay we're saying classic we're saying the same thing but like you know what yeah. i mean like it's just where is that that guidance happening from the party itself like that right it's like in fucking training me to my soccer it's like just because you're a senior doesn't mean you get to start you know like, if there's a freshman that's coming in here and doing better, like, they're going to start. And that's just how it works. And that's how it should work. You know, Nancy Pelosi, she's she's in her senior year, She's but she's killing it. Right. She's getting all the goals, all the assists. The freshman needs to wait, you know, until she's gone. Guys, analogy, sports. 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 <laughs> um, but those are our top stories of the week. We have a fresh episode for you all tomorrow as well. And I'm going to pass the torch to Samantha (laughs) to tease, tease a little bit. This episode, guys, this is just like two fun interview episodes in a row. And not because the topics aren't light and like, ooh, like honestly, this week's episode is pretty like heavy topic wise, but just the light of our lives. Mm. I, there are just certain recordings, certain conversations we have. We could have been hanging out for hours i time just melts into existence and i think you guys will feel the same way listening to this conversation we will definitely be having this guest back on but it is arkansas minority leader tippy mccullough she is just the the bees is the like yawns like i this is one of those episodes you guys you know when we're just like we really can't stop raving about this person. Like this is one of those and it is a must listen and it is also deeply moving. And I think people will just find it informative, but also really inspiring. And on top of it all, just an amazing person, amazing personality, all the things we love to see. So that is our episode for today. Tune in tomorrow and we'll be chatting soon. Toodaloo. Toodles. Toodles.